Welcome to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari Shrike, the artist and creator behind Not Sorry Art and Not Sorry Art School. I'm so excited to talk art and creativity with you. So grab a drink, grab a snack, and let's dive in. This episode of the Not Sorry Art Podcast is brought to you by Not Sorry Art School. Not Sorry Art School is my online art school I created two and a half years ago to supplement my workshop teaching when the pandemic hit. It became a really great resource where I could put all of my knowledge about representational painting into one space. We add one new section or demo every quarter to Not Sorry Art School, and you don't have to pay a membership fee. You pay one time, and then you get access to all of the past videos and all future videos. Not Sorry Art School has an online Facebook group where I have office hours every Monday, and I answer questions within the Not Sorry Art School Facebook group. And there's also a wonderful sense of community on there where people will share their paintings and get great consensual feedback. I'm really excited about Not Sorry Art School. So if you're interested, make sure to click the link and check out the about page to learn more about Not Sorry Art School. Hey y'all, I'm so excited for my guest today and I think you'll really enjoy our conversation on the creative value of mindfulness and the power of community for creators. My guest today is the lovely Paige Polk. She's the experience director for her business, Paige Polk International, and she's a mindfulness and creativity coach as well. I found her on TikTok. We sort of started reaching out to each other, and I've really enjoyed our conversations. Paige has a background as a documentary filmmaker and has expertise in community building that I think artists can learn from. Admittedly, her conversations around the value of community for artists was something I was initially really drawn into. Lo and behold, she has a mindfulness practice too, so I thought there was a lot here that artists could really glean from this conversation. I wanted to speak with her because I really value Paige's perspective on community empowerment and mindfulness, as well as her focus on mental and physical well-being. This was a really lovely conversation. It was one of those that I found myself thinking about for days and days after. And one of the things we talk about is sort of the importance of having seasons in your work. And I love that we have this conversation in spring and we're releasing it in spring. It's a wonderful time of the year to really focus on how seasons sort of affect you and ups and downs. And I also wanted to note that Mindfulness is something I've wanted to talk about for a long time on my platforms, but I also understand that mindfulness kind of gets this bad rap for being this sort of, I don't know, pseudo-spiritual thing that can be a little froofy. And as a, a gal who grew up in the Midwest, I have always been a little dubious to introduce these ideas, but Paige does a wonderful job explaining mindfulness in very you know, plain speak and a very approachable way. And it's been absolutely transformative in my practice. So I'm really excited to share this with you via Paige's expertise. So I can't wait for you guys to listen to this episode. You can, of course, check out Paige's podcast, and I highly suggest her podcast. It's called Not Yet with Paige Polk. And follow the rest of her journey at pagepolk.com, as well as her Instagram, Not Yet Series. And her TikTok, it's at page.polk. Lots of fun ways to follow her, but definitely encourage you to do so. And I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Hi, Paige. Welcome to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm so grateful for you to be here. I am so excited for this episode. We are talking about community building and mindfulness. And uh, for a little bit of context, I found you on social media. I really loved your presence and I was just obsessed with you know, the topics that you covered and showing your real life and what it looks like. And one thing that I think is, can be a little rare is for someone to have 
conversations about mindfulness that feel very approachable and you seem very open. And so before we jump into all of that, I was wondering if you could introduce yourself a little bit, where can people find you? And and then we'll jump into mindfulness. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Sari. Uh, I always enjoy talking with you. Um, my name is Paige Polk. I am an experience director and a mindfulness coach. My background, I was originally trained as a documentary film editor and twirled around different areas of creative business, both working for myself and working for large organizations, nonprofits, philanthropies, and landed on entrepreneurship. And what I love helping people do is live mindful, purposeful lives, whether that's as a coach or building in-person or online events that help people connect to their creative process. Yes. Yes. I love that. I feel like, you know, the line between what we considered a typical sort of creative, whether that's like a documentarian or a painter or a musician are blurring. And I think one thing that tends to happen is um, you know, language, I feel like sometimes doesn't always keep up with all of our creative pursuits. So I always appreciate when people, you know, say their title and everything that it encompasses and it lets us know a little bit more about you. But one thing that kind of perked my ears is, you know, your relationship with mindfulness. And I was wondering if just off at the top, you could sort of break down, you know, what is mindfulness in like plain speak, right? What is, what is it and how does it connect with being a creative and how could it even help creative people? Yeah, I love that question. Mindfulness at its simplest form is about intention. It's about being present in your body, being present in space and recognizing what already is. And then from that place, moving in alignment with what you actually want for your life. And that can be as simple as, okay, I know every morning that I'm really thirsty. And that happens every morning. And I also know that being dehydrated is, you know, no bueno. So what can I do? I can just have a bottle of water next to my bedside table and then I can wake up and drink water. It can be something as simple as that or something as life altering as I know that I want kids in my life. It doesn't necessarily that mean that I want to carry them, uh, but I know that I want to be a parent. I know that I want to be a mentor. So how can I small micro steps in my life so that that can be a part of my lived reality? Maybe that's having a partner who also wants kids, or maybe having a partner that wants to carry because I know that I don't, or maybe that's living with other adults who want to co-parent like a group of kids or what have you, just like knowing what is going on around you and being honest with yourself about what you want and finding that place in the middle. Yeah, I love that. And I, I love the idea of intention because I feel like, you know, especially for artists, it's this idea of like, okay, I want to be an artist. And sometimes if you're not super intentional and like having that conversation sort of out loud with yourself, I don't know about you, maybe I'm losing the the lead here, but like, you know, with mindfulness in my practice, it's been, instead of sort of going down the normal steps of like what you think an artist looks like culturally, you know, going to art school, whatever, it's instead sort of refocusing on, well, why do I want to be an artist? And what, like, it's, it's almost actually more creativity in it instead of just saying, well, an artist looks like this or acts like this or shows up in these galleries. It's sort of recentering around like, I want to be an artist because I want the process and then sort of stepping backwards. And it does require creativity, 
but it's almost inviting creativity into like another part of your life that typically is in autopilot. And I have a question for you about that. I'm curious, were you a creative person before you found mindfulness? And did the practice of mindfulness alter like how you see yourself creatively? You know, I know a, a lot of spiritual people, capital S, and it could just be a nature of the work, a nature of the industry, because this is also how I pay my bills. It's how I pay my bills, and it's also a big aspect of how I lead my life. And I actually grew up in the church and had a really hard time with it. Like, I had a really hard time with spirituality in the context of community, because, like, as a queer person, being a part of the Black church it has a lot of, there's a lot of history there for better or for worse. And so I would say I've always been a creative person. Even as a kid, I remember, I, um, I remember my mom dropped me off. I got at this day camp one time for summer classes and they had speed reading classes and they had like physics classes or whatever. And I saw they had a calligraphy class and I was like, mom, I want to take that. And she's going to get you into college. And I was like, but it's so beautiful. Yes. <laughs> like I've always been attracted to beauty and how can I create beauty and how can I ingest beauty and how can I be a part of beauty? And even in my life, now that's so very true like I still write thank you cards yeah to everyone I think I wrote you a thank you card you did. and we planted it so you wrote your thank you card on paper that was seeds and I'll have to send you a picture but it's it's like growing right now and it's ready to bloom and I have a seven-year-old and he's been obsessed with watching it and giving me updates on it so yes we love that thank you by the way oh yeah of course so short answer yes always been creative um, however, the mindfulness aspect of it ha- came to me in my adulthood, um, because I had engineered my life in my young adulthood, in my early twenties, and arguably even growing up as a kid for the admiration, affection, and projected respect of other people. And I don't, blame myself for that or even shame myself for it because that's kind of an act of survival like when you're a kid you do what you can to be treated with respect so that you can feel safe Uh, and I realized that you know being a decently smart kid I mean I think everyone's smart in their own way but as I became an adult and became really responsible for my own livelihood, that transitioned into my work relationships, my dynamics with power, with systems, with organizations. And I was so riddled with fear and used used a word before autopilot. Like my life was running on island. I had all of, I had seen all of these visions of what a successful person looks like. Like go like my entire life, my mom talked to me about going to college. Like my whole, my whole childhood was, this is what success looks like. And every aspect of my childhood was, can this get me a scholarship? Will this help me be seen in, by potential colleagues or leaders or what have you? And then I got to college and I was like, oh my gosh, now what? Now what? And I had run out of steam because I didn't have anything fueling me that was honestly mine. It was all external projections. And it kind of came to a head in 
that I mean, for a lot of people, but really for me too, the pandemic, because I was at home, Mm -hmm. there was no catharsis. There was no escape. I couldn't escape the reality of what my life had become. I just had to sit with it and I had to deal with it. And I had to recognize, oh, wait, there are probably seasons outside for a reason. Maybe when it's cold outside, I'm supposed to be resting. Maybe when the sun is out, I'm supposed to be outside and connecting. Maybe when the spring is there, that's when I'm supposed to be planting seeds, both literally and figuratively. And that's been a journey of creativity for myself as well. Like recognizing the ways that there are creative cycles all around me and like the way that my relationships spark and grow and the way that trees are so much smarter than I could ever be like spring quote unquote spring started two weeks earlier than usual and I know that because there's a Bradford pear tree right outside of my window and whenever it blooms that's the beginning of spring and for some reason that tree knows Hmm. to start sooner I don't know why but I'm just gonna trust the tree knows what it's doing and I'm gonna live my life accordingly so I try to bring mindfulness into my life period like before we started recording I told you how this whole weekend I didn't work like I didn't send any emails I actively didn't start scribbling my ideas on my dry erase board behind me and not because I didn't want to not because I wasn't excited about it but because I knew that I had to rest because when I think about the long term of what I'm building rest and rejuvenation and resonance with my body and my spirit and my relationships like that is essential and I can't get lost in the sauce of the excitement of building something cool for my career when I also need to take care of my body and my spirit. Yes, absolutely. Beautifully said. And I think, I think a lot of people are going to resonate with that idea of feeling so motivated by external factors. And I, like my head was nodding nonstop when you were talking about the goal, especially as a child to be college. And I think our parents, you know, have love in their heart, which is, I think such a good point about intentionality and mindfulness is like, you can even have the purest of intentions, but until you sort of break from those external markers of success and look inward, you can be commit. You can be doing harm, and that's a hard thing to grapple with, and it requires nuance and um, and and insightfulness. But you don't have those things unless you provide yourself the space for that quiet and that introspection, and to unplug from those external motivators, which are very loud, right? They they often come with these messages of of shame and should and not good enough. And, and they can be very noisy, especially if that's all you're used to. And so to create the space to turn the volume down on that and say, well, what do I want? What does success look like for me? What, what kind of person do I want to show up and be in the world? And can I be okay, you know, pushing aside that the college degree or looking like a real artist in lieu of maybe looking less successful, but feeling happier in my creative practice or feeling happier in my relationships, including your relationship with yourself. Yeah, that's, it's, that's, I think it's really exciting to hear you, you say that. And I'm curious, I want to dig a little bit deeper if you don't mind. When you did sort of make that kind of that jump. And the reason I asked about if mindfulness was there before or after creativity is because I feel like a lot of times when I listen to people's creative practice, whether they know it or not, I think people will end up stumbling into mindfulness because I think a lot of creative people are mindful. I think it's just like they they overlap. I don't know how, I don't know why, but I'm I'm curious if when you 
slowed down, looked in for inward and sort of adopted these like mindfulness practices, did your creative practice change? Did it change in how it looks? Did it change in how it feels? Um, I'm just really curious about that. Yes. Short answer. Yes. Um, mostly because I recognize that creativity has a cycle. Mm. Yeah. For the longest time, I thought that being an artistic person or being a creative person meant that you were struck with inspiration. Mm. Like it came down from the heavens and it just like came through my hands and then I created something like, wow, where did it come from? And like, if only. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I thought that way partially because I was in a, in a cycle of burnout because that's what it feels like when you're only operating from a space of exasperation of like, finally I have energy to do this thing. And then you just stop. (laughs) And then you, and then you quit your job because it is too hard on your body or you sleep for days because you haven't slept because you've been pulling multiple all-nighters. Like that was a cycle that I had in many aspects of my life with school, with like my outside creative projects, with like even relationships. When I think about it, like I was like a serial dater where it would be exasperating and beautiful and like riveting. And then it would be chaos. And I'd be like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) And when I recognize that creativity is a cycle that begins and ends with rest is actually something I speak about in my podcast with Um, this designer and artist her name is Annika Henstein Zora and we had a whole podcast episode about rest and in that moment like this happened this year yeah 2023 like in that moment I was like oh my gosh like creativity starts and ends at rest it doesn't start with the creation it doesn't start with the idea it doesn't start with the potential it starts with peace yeah it starts with safety. It starts with ease. It starts with resonance of like knowing that you are enough exactly as you are. Yes. I and then from there, beautiful things happened. Yes. And I think that that's, you know, we don't see people's rest. Rest is not Instagram friendly. Rest does not win awards. Rest does not get you a degree, but it's absolutely part of it. This, the season of it, you know, an idea that I've been tending to for a while is like, I want to write a guide and like how to have a flop era. And I mean that in like in this, in the season way, like of like, how do you work through that downtime, that time where like from the outside, it looks like you're not achieving or, you know, okay. So to get back to kind of your story, of, um, you know, working the desire to get a scholarship and this forward trajectory, you know, I have something similar where I, you know, I had to have a running scholarship. I had to work a job. I had to be good in my degree. I had to get good grades to kind of keep the whole thing going, right. To, to do all this. And then much like you, I had this sort of break when I was out of college and I had, I mean, almost like a full breakdown. And from, from the outside, I went from, you know, winning these awards and winning races and being a star athlete and good grades and and all this like externally good stuff. But like, I had never looked inward and I never, like, I'd never even checked in with myself on any level. I was just moving so fast. And then from the outside, I basically had four or five years where 
people who maybe didn't know would have said like Sari fell off like she just I think she makes these weird drawings on Instagram I don't know what she does <laughs> and and I and I it was the love for myself in that time where I said it's okay if I look like a failure because what I'm doing is meaningful and even if I never win awards like that again like the peace that I have from quietness and and like and just you know the love and grace to give myself time to make art even if it's not amazing that has become the most fertile soil for every single one of my creative endeavors. I have a question for you. When did you recognize that it was time to move after your rest? That's good. Yeah, it was, I started, I started feeling like it, yeah, I started feeling excited again about things. Like my relationship with my creativity was that I was an art major and I sort of had it in the same category as being like an athlete. So my creative creativity was about like being the best. And I mean, there was some authentic stuff happening in there too, but it was very like, will other people like this? Will this make me look like an artist? And whenever I started thinking about making art, even if no one liked it, but I liked it, when that started sounding appealing, and that was after about a year and a half of, of literally doing nothing. I mean, I, I had a baby, but like nothing creative, nothing career. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I was doing Instacart <laughs> and like odd creative jobs and watching a baby, but like, but nothing stuff. It just made me feel like I was in a place where I know everyone's experience is different, but I just felt really small. But I, I realized, I think that even if you're not getting that external validation, like you don't just dry up and die. You know, you like, if it, it might feel like it, if that's how you've operated for a long time. Another key thing is like, I was reading a lot of gentle parenting books, which was a very different approach that I was raised. And I was raised very authoritarian and my relationship with myself changed because I started treating myself with like the love and grace. And so like, People have this misconception that treating yourself with love means that you'll just let yourself opt out of everything and you'll lose the discipline to push yourself. But I found that that was completely opposite, that when your motivation comes out of self-love and not external motivation, that your capacity for trying new things and experimenting and being an artist actually grows a lot. I like this. Yeah. I like this. I really resonated when you were like, when you take a pause you don't triple up and die you don't and I yeah. think that we live in this sort of western capitalist space that tells you that if you're not in a state of production that you're not valuable yep. which is just not true yep it's not true it's like it's a part of a system and for a long time I would hear sort of like these buzzwords like capitalism and I'd be like, okay, yeah, I get it. I get it. Like capitalism, boo, like I get it. Yeah. But it's like, but it's not as, it's so much bigger as cap than capitalism, boo. It's like, no, the entire framework that we have built our civilizations, our relationships with other people, with work, with our family members is based off of this idea that you do not deserve peace. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that means that we have constructed a society devoid of peace. Yep. That's afraid of grief. Yep. That's afraid of sorrow. That's just afraid of stillness. And stillness is when you have so many Eureka moments, when you have so much awareness. Yes. 
And that's where the intention comes from. Because if you're just producing constantly, what are you even producing for? What do you stand for? What are your values? And if you don't know those, how can you find people that resonate with your values? How can you build a community that is in line with how you want to feel in your body? If you don't know how you want to feel in your body. Exactly. Yeah. And that connection. Yes. Yes. Sorry. I'm nodding. (laughs) You're not. It's okay. It's cool. Yeah. Like I was talking to my, uh, I was talking to my fiance, um, about how I want to feel in our relationship. And I said, I want to feel like my heart is open. Like I want to feel energy coursing freely throughout my body. And I want to feel light and free. And I feel that way in many parts of our relationships, but not all of them. And that required me to be really honest of like, I don't feel that way all the time in our relationship. Not to say that I do think that it's possible. I think it is possible to feel that way consistently in your life. It just requires momentum and it requires having a North star and knowing what you want and recognizing when that's not showing up. And that's the work. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, I feel like, you know, kind of to what you're saying, it's not, it's not often seen as valuable work. And I really like what you said about the capitalism boo thing, because I think sometimes people get confused with commerce and capitalism and commerce is more, you know, we're trading one good for another. It's, you know, it's been around forever and ever. People have been bartering and trading, you know, tales all this time. And I think an important distinction is that capitalism benefits from large swaths of the population being detached from themselves, both to be hyper-productive and to be really good consumers. And one thing I find that when people tap into to mindfulness, in particular with creativity, is that we become a lot more savvy with how we consume and what we consume. And I think getting back to the whole point that we've been talking about and that you've articulated beautifully a couple of different times is that that intentionality, that, you know, that North Star is just transformative. And it's it's tough because it's, you know, it's hard to explain that to people because it feels a little in the weeds and nuance, but like you said at the top, it's it's I am thirsty, I'm going to have water next to me. It's it's simple. It's support, it's focus, it's being honest with your goals and it's prioritizing how you want to feel and what you want your relationships and your creativity and your work to look like. And, you know, I think I think this is I I wish I could have heard this in college. I think it's it seems simple. But it's, and maybe it is on paper, but it's hard work and it's it's worthy work. And maybe it's not always Instagram worthy work, but I, I mean, I can tell you personally that it's been some of the best work that I've done in my entire life. And it shows. Oh, thank it you. shows. No, like really, Sari, it does. Like it shows with like the clarity of focus you have in your business of like, okay, this is, this is a month of production. Like- Producing is not bad. It is not inherently bad. It's it's actually a part of the cycle of creating anything. But for you to know, okay, so month the month of March is going to be me doing a lot of filming, and as a result, that means the month of April means that I'm going to have to get that energy back somehow. Maybe that's spending more time with my kids. Maybe that's sleeping more. Maybe that's like changing my workout routine. Like, and it it really does show. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, well, and it's, I think you you have to be pretty intentional if you're going to especially be on the internet. Like I just read something a couple of days ago that 
that they did this really big study on empathy. And I think empathy, my, my little aside here is, is like an extension of mindfulness, but you know, people who are really empathetic. So they studied nuns and, you know, people who work in these like giving fields. And the one thing that they all had in common wasn't what you would think. It was, it was boundary setting. And boundary setting can look like a, a ton of different things. And there's definitely a conversation to be had around it. But I feel like, you know, the reason I am, I think, able to show up and be intentional with what I'm saying and doing and my work, my parenting is because I have boundaries. And we think of boundaries as this like magic word that solves everything. But I think the important thing to know about boundaries is it's your ability to walk away from things and the ability to walk away from increased perceived increased productivity or um you're going to miss out on, on an opportunity if you have a boundary, or you're going to miss out on a relationship if you put up a boundary. But having those, I think, is a make or break and an extension of mindfulness. I'm curious what you think about that. I, I love talking about boundaries. Um, a therapist once told me that boundaries are doing their job and they help you keep your relationships. And it flipped my whole conversation about boundary work upside down because for a long time, I've been self-isolating and building my life on my own and saying, oh, you don't get the vision. Oh, I don't like the way I feel around you. I'm going to carve you out. You get to bit tweezed. Like, I don't like this job. It's not working for me. No one understands me. Bye. Like, that was not how I built boundaries. But we are communal beings we are meant to thrive in community and community is really fun and that also means recognizing that you deserve help like anyone who's ever done anything worth anything did it with people did it with other people not only does it help you build a consensus about what we actually need together uh, it also helps you go farther and it helps you go deeper Uh, and that can be as simple as like um like I, I know that you've you've spoken about how you learn just as much from your students yes, as they yes. learn from you in your classes. Like you couldn't learn it in that way in isolation if all you were doing was like making tiny disco ball paintings alone in your studio. Like yes. you you are building a life with other people, with other artists, with your family, with yourself. And boundaries help you articulate where you begin and where they end so that you can recognize what your needs are and what their needs are and how everyone's needs can be met. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's about, you know, I always think of it like resentment preventing. So like, you know, the idea of a boundary in a relationship or a relationship with your work or even relationship with yourself is that, I, it's it's about acknowledging your own limitations, right? It's about coming to terms with like, you know, I only have so much energy to give. I only have so much whatever to give. And, you know, by clocking out on the weekends or by knowing that I'm not going to get this kind of emotional support from the internet and just being really clear from the get-go, you do, you, you, it's a twofold thing. You then have the ability to sort of maximize the channels you do have open so whether that's Q&As or like feedback sessions with my students or whatever it looks like, but because you've given yourself the love and grace and kindness to look at yourself non-objectively, right? It doesn't make me a weaker person that 
I can't tolerate criticism on the internet. It's it's just a, it's just a fact about Sari and it's not good and it's not bad. But we're going to say we don't take in that feedback, you know, whether that's again the internet, your mom, your partner, your 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 work, you know, it's a little tricky with some some things, but you know, putting down that boundary out of compassion and love for yourself instead of saying, well, if I was just a better, more gracious, more kind, more loving person, I could do all of these things. And I feel like sometimes when we think of like boundary work and being empathetic, it's just all about, well, I just wish I was better. But when you kind of get in the weeds and realize your own limitations, I feel like the kindness that comes from understanding that ends up making it to where you can help others better and you can show up as yourself in a larger, better capacity. Yes. And it makes your decision to change who you are built on clarity. Yeah. Like if you decided that at some point you wanted to be able to, I'm just going to use this example because you brought it up, but like take in criticism from the internet. Like if in some way you believe that that would serve you or serve Mm -hmm. your career or serve something, and that's something you decided you wanted to build capacity for, you have to recognize that at the beginning that that's not something that you have. But that doesn't mean that you have to do it. Yeah, It's only if you want to do it. If you want to grow in that direction, if you want to change in that direction, you can. Or you can say, actually, I don't need that to live the fulfilled life that's based on my values. What I actually need to focus on is my bedtime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about being aware and loving and taking care of yourself. And yeah, like you said, and I think it's funny because like we think of boundaries as limiting, but it you know, just, you put it so beautifully, it actually gives you more control. You can look at your creative practice or your relationships and, and sort of not in a moment. I keep thinking of the like idea of like, nobody's good in a corner. Like nobody's good. If like, they're just responding out of necessity, but if you can give yourself the time and space and maybe that dormancy we were talking about, right. That off season to really think about, well, what do I want out of my next chapter of my art career? Do I want to keep doing the disco balls or do I want to dig deeper with commentary and like giving yourself the space to think about what that looks like and then doing the creative work of saying, okay, well, what boundaries are going to get me to that goal? What can I prune back? What can I block out to the best of my abilities so that I can focus on the things that are going to challenge me and I have the space to be challenged and be the best person I can be when I'm challenged with those things. What are you focusing on right now? Uh, In my career? Um, I'm thinking a lot about, there's something I've been wanting to tend to for a long time, and that's sort of more of a social commentary with my work. I actually think this is probably a pretty good example because, um, you know, ever since I graduated, I would say high school, I have known that I want to give back, that I, I wanted to talk about like classism and sort of some advocacy around that. And I, it's funny because I, whenever I got to college and I got in on a running scholarship and, you know, I was working really hard, but to phrase my um, homeroom teacher in college, um, basically kids from my high school had to work a little extra to kind of catch up. And this played out in the way that I wanted to be a political science major because I wanted to help get involved with the policies that basically kept me alive as a kid. They kept me fed, that kept the lights on. I wanted to like immediately dive back in and help. But I I did art because I didn't have the bandwidth to write all those papers. Ended up being a great choice. I had an amazing art professor. But it's so funny because what ended up happening is like as I've sort of allowed myself the space and time to heal and reckon with you know, the wounds that were created growing up below the poverty line, I now feel like I have the space and capacity and boundaries and 
compassion for myself that I can do better work. So I feel like, again, to use your analogy, like I'm just now sort of feeling like I can reap the, you know, the, the fruit of the boundary setting that I did, although unintentionally. <laughs> and again, it was a lot of the universe, but I'm now wanting to focus on it a little bit because I have some space and time in my life to like, think about those things. Yeah. Uh, I love that. And it's so cool to see you doing it through the context of art. Like art really does change, has the capacity to change people's entire ideology about living. Yes. And so what more powerful medium to, to spark dialogue about third spaces, to spark dialogue about self-worth, to spark dialogue about like awareness and value, then art. Yes. Yes. And it's, and it's a, it's a reminder to me and I hope to other people that even if you know what you think, like your goal is, your advocacy looks like, um, when you sort of are like, when you let go a little bit and just take care of what, what serves you authentically in the moment, sometimes the universe has better plans than, than you have for yourself. And I think it's only through sort of letting go of this like perceived control we have or control over what others think of us, control over our outcomes, that we can let the universe, I sort of am visualizing like guide us downstream, that it's like a little bit of it is like path of least resistance. Like I would have never thought that I could, you know, talk about these things with art. I don't think it would have popped into my head as a senior in high school, but now it's the perfect, I think in a lot of ways, it's the perfect medium and it's, it's it's the best version of myself. And so, yeah, I mean, just another reason I think mindfulness is such an important part of a, of everyone's life or should be, but also a creative practice and a creative career. Um, yes. I wanted to, I wanted to segue because we were talking a little bit about community and that's something that I'm super, super excited to talk to you about. So an idea I have is that I, I really think everyone is creative in some capacity. And I think one way that we're creative that doesn't get a lot of attention all the time is by community building and, you know, maybe even relationship building, but certainly community building. And I just wanted to throw out kind of an example, more so to, I think, to my audience in case they're they're skeptical. I can, I can sense the skepticalness maybe. But an example is like, <laughs> my, my mother-in-law is an accountant, right? I think if you, you sort of ask like, what's the antithesis of a creative job? Maybe some people, at least I would have perhaps at some point in my life said an accountant that feels not creative, right? But of course, everything can be. But anyways, I um she is someone who early in her career, she would go to a lot of these meetups for business women or entrepreneurial women and just go and show up and network and just and, and just see people. And she had a kind of a heart for serving people who didn't have access to healthcare in the small town I grew up in, or from the same small town. And she ended up going and showing up to these things and meeting and, and linking up with someone who had kind of the skills that she didn't have as far as building a community healthcare center. And they partnered up and they ended up building something that it ended up being a resource for me growing up, but a really wonderful community health center for the town that I grew up in. And she told me the story. And I remember having this like, oh, that's, that's, that's the creative process. That feels like the creative process, right? You don't exactly know what it looks like. You show up, you find community, you have shared goals, and you've created this wonderful thing. And so 
to, I've, I've held on to that example in my heart of like, that's what created, you know, community building can look like, and it can be creative and it doesn't have to look like paint and writing and music. It can look like something else. And so I wanted to ask you about, cause I know this is something you do a lot and you talk a lot about and you're passionate about and listening to your podcast, I hear it come through all the time, but you know, what is what is it to build a creative community? Do you consider it a creative practice? And I'd love to hear more of like your thoughts on that. Building community is both a creative practice and a health practice for me. Because a lot of my work, similar to you, is done in isolation. Like it's a lot of emails. It's a lot of like deep strategy work because I put on, I put on events. So I start building my events six months before the actual venue opens up maybe you walk in through the door and it's a lot of conceptualizing which I like doing alone mostly because I when when it's really abstract and you have other abstract people coming in it's like whoa whoa too abstract (laughs) like like I just need my abstractness I need boundaries boundaries there (laughs) it is again um (laughs) and my creative community has a bit of overlap. So there are people in my life, like I have, I'm, I'm very close with my family. Yeah. This has not always been the case. And it is something that I have been active about shifting in my adulthood because I recognize just how much of myself comes from them and just how much power it, it, from a self-reckoning perspective I have access to when I'm able to be in the same room as my mom and my dad's and my brother's and not lose my shit completely like Mm -hmm. that is really powerful for me and more than one aspect of my life Mm -hmm. and so I think it's inherently creative to be in community with an entirely different human being as you were also becoming the human being that you want to be because they are interacting with you based off of assumptions of who you are that they've built over the course of years. And you might have a moment where you're like, I'm like, I'm a Sagittarius. So I'm all about being a new person every day. Me too. But everyone else energy. in my I life does not recognize. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When's your birthday? <laughs> like everyone else in my life doesn't necessarily move in that way. And so I have to be creative about how I'm engaging with them, about what ideas I do share with them, about what ideas I don't share with them, about how frequently do I want to see them in person so that we both feel like we're getting our needs met. And what activities are we going to do that spark joy for both of us? What conversations are we going to have that are going to be very hard? And how frequently do we have those sort of ground scraping, life shifting, oh, okay, we're going to unpack this trauma moment. Like how often are we going to have that? Because in many ways it can be healing, but if you do it too much, it can destroy the relationship and the fabric of trust. So there's so many push and pull dynamics that touch all of your emotions, that touch all of your visions for how you want to live your life. And it can be fun. It's supposed to be fun. If it's not fun, you're, you might want to (laughs) reevaluate. So I think community building is inherently a creative practice. 
Yeah. And I love that you sort of, I feel like dove into kind of the heavy work of community building. Cause I think, I think sometimes it feels like a bit of a buzzword or at least in my corner of the internet. And, you know, because we're so used to this narrative around, you know, I hate to blame everything on, on capitalism, but this idea that like everything new in your life is supposed to serve you and have all these bells and whistles. And there's sort of this service model, you know, sometimes engaging in relationship building and community building can feel a little bit like it can be uncomfortable because there is a certain amount of give and take, like community building isn't just you show up to a curated space and it just serves you. You know, it's this matter of like you're putting in and you're taking out and you're reevaluating, you know, where do I need to assert myself and take the lead and where can I sit back and be, you know, more supporting or submissive in this situation. And, you know, I think it's an important thing to dive into because on the surface, community building is great, right? It's showing up in spaces, whether that's getting involved in like local politics, whether that's signing up to teach some local art courses, or it can be all, all kinds of things. But I'm so grateful that you dove right into kind of the, the other thing that I think is really important is showing up and being a part of community is relinquishing control. And I know as creatives, especially the kind of creatives where we are alone in the studio, that can be really terrifying, but just like how you have to learn to let go and let the universe have its way from time to time and shape things. Learning to do that with people is both going to challenge you, but also offer you things that you would never be able to accomplish on your own. And that collaboration is, I think in itself, an art form, a, kind of a more tangible example of this. I just, I love good examples is I remember... I forget what year it was, but there was, I think it may have been the Emmys, but it was like 2017 or 18 and Beyonce was up against Beck, I think for album of the year or something. And I think I cheated lose out to him, but I remember there was this meme that went around. It was this visual of Beck and it had all the songwriting credits and it was him. And then Beyonce and all the songwriting credits. And it was maybe 20, 30 people. And the, the, the funny thing is the takeaway from that was like, supposedly like, that because Beck did it all himself, that that was somehow better. And I remember kind of sitting with it and thinking about it and being like, I actually think, not let's not moralize it and say one's better, but there's actually a ton of power, creativity, and you know, genius that comes from working with people and and recognizing someone's genius and incorporating that in. And again, I don't want to say like one is better than the other per se, but that point to me felt so silly and it showed me how little we really understand the creative creativity that is part of community building I think also to be an effective artist you need to understand how you can do both what do you bring to the table all on your own and how do you bring what you bring to the table to a community table yeah yeah and make, and I think that involves introspection which again is another layer of creativity and yeah, learning, yeah, like you said, it's a balance, it's having both, it's having the capacity for both. I'm curious if somebody is listening to this and they're like, okay, community building sounds great, but I live in a rural setting or I don't have people around me who are my age or, you know, all kinds of, I'm not thinking of good examples, but all kinds of seemingly very valid barriers to community building. You know, what would you suggest they do to start building that community and like, what should they be thinking? Like what intentions do they need to be asking and thinking about when they go forward setting those intentions for building that community? I think the the first step in community building 
is vulnerability, which is like not fun. <laughs> yeah. Like it's yeah. not fun to put yourself out there. And at first, at first, it's not fun to put yourself out there and just hear echoes. That's the unfun part. Yeah. But um, we live in the 20, 2023. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of spaces that have don't have access to broadband. That's a whole different conversation for a whole nother podcast episode. But if you have the internet, like we found each other on the internet. How spectacular is that? Yeah. And like, we have completely different media that we play with, but we have, I mean, I, I mean, I'll speak for myself, but like, I think you're absolutely lovely. Oh, same. I think that oh you're lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that you're building something that can really help people think about how they want to show in the world. You are showing people realities that they typically like run away from in fear and you're doing so in a way that can help alchemize our relationship to these spaces and to these policies. And like, you feel like a kindred spirit to me. And the first step to us connecting was me reaching out and saying, I love what you're doing. Let me know if I can help you. Oh, This is what I do. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that you brought up vulnerability because again it kind of ties into this idea that if we allow these sort of bigger narratives of you know I'm not worthy of this community or I'm I'm scared I'm going to get rejected to get in the way that it can prevent what could be a really wonderful thing both in the rejection and you know a relationship building I think but all of those things can be really helpful you know I tell artists all the time that you know, when you're an artist to a certain degree, if you can, if you can handle it and if it works for you, that learning that a certain amount of rejection is white noise is part of the job. And it's, it's something that I think is worth building up tolerance for. And it's funny because it took me so long to, to transfer that over into more personal relationships. But man, if that isn't true, that like learning to be okay with a certain amount of rejection of like reaching out to someone and being like, I think you're doing something that's amazing. I love how you do this. And then maybe you don't hear back from them. Or maybe there's something that kind of fizzles out. You learn that maybe it, you know, wasn't what you thought, or you show up in a physical space and it's not what you thought it would be. I think, you know, learning how to show up, even if you get rejected, love yourself anyways, and take that risk is, I think important just across the board, but especially if community building is something that's on your radar, it's something that's worth, you know, getting a little scraped up over. And again, boundaries, right? But I certainly have found the same thing too. I mean, part of why I started this podcast was because it was, well, it's funny because in 2019, I was making a vision board for what I wanted for 2022. And, um, and I, I put community building and and finding people and physical space community up there. And then, of course, a global pandemic would break out. So it's in right. something that I, <laughs> I know, right? But I think, I think collectively also there's, you know, because we have had a, a, a lot of valid reason for space and isolation over the last, gosh, three years now, I think people have, I think it's forced intentionality in people. I think people are like, oh, I miss things about either going into a physical workspace or going into a coffee shop or, you know, going to family barbecues. And because of that, I think that's part of why 
community building has really catapulted as an idea and people are like, oh yeah, I do want to work for this. I don't want to take it for granted. And there is value to building a community. And then I just wanted to ask you, you know, in your opinion, if somebody's kind of on the fence and they don't know if they want to be vulnerable, like if you wanted to like sell it a little bit, like what, like why, I know we've talked about it a little bit, but like, why is community building so important and you know how how can it help you both in like a you know visible common sense and then maybe in like a deeper sense like how is community building good well first I'll touch on the fear aspect because that fear bit is real and it's the thing that stops people from doing a lot of very valuable things in their life all the dodge of rejection is redirection is 100% true whether that's just you are trying to build a friendship with someone because you think that they're interesting which which is a whole next level Olympic sport when you're an adult and you're like not in school. So true. And you're like, wow, this person looks cool. Like maybe they want to hang out with me. Like that feels so vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Like, hey, I want a friend. You want to be my friend? That feels like heart wrenching. I'm just like, this is what my soul looks like. Like, don't stab me. Like, that's what that feels like. Yeah. And I have, I have done that to people. I have like, like, yeah my fiance allows me all the time. Like uh, we'll be out in public and I'll be like, Oh, your hair looks so beautiful today. Complete stranger. Yeah. Complete stranger. Like I I'm from Texas. I'm very Southern. I will talk to people at the checkout counter at the grocery store. We'll have a whole conversation. And sometimes that person is like not, not trying to talk to me, which is like, <laughs> yeah. real. like real. And like mindfulness is one thing that's helped me course correct very quickly because I think I've always had a big heart. Even as a kid, I'd be like, love me. And then some people would be like, I don't want to. And I'd be like, why? Yes. And it's yes. like, and, and when you ask and people can't give it to you for whatever reason, that's okay to say, okay. And that doesn't, that means that you still want love. It's just not from them. So keep asking for what you need. Keep asking for what you want because it is out there and keep being clear about who you are and what you want to bring to life, what you want to bring to the table, how you want this world that we're living in to look and feel like. And people who have the same vision will come to you. Sometimes you don't have to be the one going out and being like, hi, love me. Like sometimes you can just be like, I love this. And then other people will be like, I love that too. Wow. Can we love it together? <laughs> yes. Yes. I I wanted to add, that's such a good point. And I think that's so, so good. I just want to like think about that for a few days. I know I am. But it reminds me of something that my mom used to say to me as a little kid that I've actually used in my business like tremendously. So I remember being a little kid and we lived in apartment complex and it was there's tons of kids in there and I used to get so sad because I just wanted to play with everyone like I was super extroverted as a little kid and I would come to my mom and be like you know I want someone to play with I want a friend to play with and her advice would always be well you go out there and you have so much fun and then people will want to play with you and obviously there's nuance to that but I found that in my creative practice and specifically how I show up online is like the first part of forming relationships 
is being authentically yourself. But that's kind of the first love letter to people who want to engage with you is if you show up in a way that's authentic and authenticity, it sounds like a buzzword too, but sometimes that means talking about something that might get you pushback or that might mean showing up and being kind of silly or showing up and, and talking about something that everyone else is like, you're, you're looking too into it. That's too deep. But if you take the time to tend to those things that feel special to you, you're going to attract the people who say, oh, I don't see that very often. And that feels special to me. And even before you reach out, you've connected in a way that's like, I have like chills, like that's so sweet and so pure and so important to building an authentic relationship. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be honest about who you are. Yes. Yes. I, I don't want to wrap up this conversation, but I wanted to ask one last thing of you before I let you go and respect your time. But I know that you do, oh, I'm missing the word right now, mentoring, creative mentoring with, with people. And oh, my mindfulness coaching program. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I, <laughs> I took, so I, way back in my journey, so probably closer to when I was like 20, 21, I started, I reached out to someone and I started doing graphic design work and trading for mindfulness sessions. And that's kind of how I started my whole mindfulness journey. And it was a tremendous help in my life. And even I would have a season where I just take it a couple times and had, you know, some things to work through and some direction, but it, it, I believe in a lot of ways was like one of the big make or breaks for my creative practice and just my life in general. Oh, and another thing I've also taken coaching and that's been tremendously helpful. So I am a big fan of investing in yourself by asking people for help and asking people for that mentorship type relationship and coaching. I'm curious if someone is like curious about reaching out, whether it's to you or any other kind of mindfulness coach that really resonates with them, what does that session look like and how might that be helpful for someone? Yeah, well, I'll speak as someone who has like received coaching. So I've been a coach and I am also coach for other folks who are sort of on their personal mindfulness creative journey. The very first step is deciding what success looks like. Like for the a time period that you're working with coach, whether it is we're meeting one-on-one -on -one over Zoom over eight weeks, or we're working together over six months and we check in once a month, like what do you want your life to look and feel like tangibly over the course of that session? And then working retroactively with that coach based off of not only your interests, but their skills. Because different coaches have different skill sets. They have different modalities um, and they have different experiences. So how can the, the skills and the tools they bring to the table help you get where you want to be? And that's the coach's job. Like that's not, <laughs> it's not your job to sort of break that down. But yeah. those are probably questions that you should ask. Like, I want to be here. How do you imagine us getting there? Um, feeling confident and comfortable expressing doubt expressing uncertainty whether it be with yourself or with the process like the same way you would want to be able to lean on a coach for like a swim team for example because they have sort of an overhead view but you're the one who's doing the work like mirror that athletic relationship to uh, a coaching mindset as well Yes. I love that. Yes. I, I was a student athlete and I think, I think maybe that's why I've always loved the idea of a coach 
is because it's so funny. I, there's so many things about being an athlete that I wish transferred over to the creative fields, but like this idea of like, well, of course you don't know everything. And like, you would lean into someone who maybe always has a little bit of a bigger picture. And I think that relationship can be really, really beautiful and really helpful. It's kind of the last thing I'll sort of leave with is uh, you have the not yet podcast, which is fantastic. I highly recommend people listen to it, follow you on TikTok. And I know you're on Instagram. I will make oh sure to gosh. link all of those things. Ah! <laughs> but if somebody wants to reach out to you for coaching, if something you said in this episode really resonates with, with people, how can they reach out? How can they contact you? What does that look like? For sure. Well, the not yet Instagram DMs, I am there every day. (laughs) So if you want to actually have conversations with me or to ask me uh, more about mindfulness and how to get involved in the programming that I put together, whether that's my event series or the coaching, that's the best way to actually speak to me. Um, If you want to learn more about my community healing project, which is not yet, it's called the Not Yet Community Healing Project, which houses the podcast and the events and the you can learn more about that at notyetseries.com. Um, yeah, could you tell me just a little bit about the the not yet community building? I know we're wrapping up, but if you just wanted to give like an elevator pitch on that, we didn't go into it super deep, but I'd love for you to share a little bit about that. Sure. I started not yet in 2018 as a live event series when I was still living in Brooklyn. And I wanted to build in-person spaces for folks to create, like physically create tangible work and also have conversations about how to let go, release and alchemize their sort of the traumas when it came to their personal identities. Um, It started out uh, focusing toward queer, non-binary and people of color. That was like my primary target audience. Um, And from there, the events just kept happening. People kept building. Um, and I started having conversations like the ones we would have in our real life events, um, in the not yet podcast where I interview other creators on their spiritual journey. And we talk about what the creative process looks, feels, uh, and acts like for better or for worse. And so it's 2023 now we're still doing events. I tapped on the mindfulness coaching program because it seemed like people needed that resource. Uh, and here we are. Yes. It's a beautiful journey. It's been, it's so fun. It's been so fun to follow and, and keep up. And I think you're doing absolutely amazing things. I definitely encourage people to, you know, hop over into your social media stratosphere and and keep, keep tabs. If nothing else, you're doing wonderful things. So I really appreciate this conversation. I think it's really going to help people. And as always, it's just a pleasure to chat with you and catch up. So we'll have to do this again. Thank you again so much for being here and have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you gained something from our conversation. I always gain so much insight when I talk to Paige. She's just a wonderful energy and I really value our conversations. Again, if you want to follow her, check out the show notes. I've put the links to where you can find her there. And I would love to hear from y'all how you've integrated mindfulness into your practice. And I really am curious if it's been as helpful for you guys as it has for me. And always, I'm going to invite you to leave a comment or a review on the Apple store. This is always helpful because it helps newer podcasts like the Not Sucker Art Podcast gain traction. And more importantly, it helps me gain insight into how you guys are enjoying the podcast. It's always really wonderful feedback to hear. So I appreciate it. And thank you again for those who've left that review. 
If you do decide to leave a review, make sure to leave your handle so I can read that off on the air on next week's episode. Thank you again. Enjoy the rest of your day and happy creating.